truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Monday. Hope you had a great Easter and or Passover weekend. We are live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you'd like to join us, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. You can also let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access via email, steve at stevedace.com, or you can like us on Facebook, but you need to like us there a lot because Facebook doesn't like us. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you listening today on Blaze Radio or via the podcast that don't have that handy little graphics package in front of you, the last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Our good friend Bob Vanderplatz will join us at the bottom of the hour for his weekly stop by the program. We're going to get into the latest chapter of my new book, or I guess we'll say most recent book, uh, truth bombs, confronting the lies, conservatives believe to our own demise. It's certainly one of the more unique things I've written over the course of my career. Uh, and we will be talking about that coming up next hour as well. Because I'm starting to now see, since I finished this manuscript, if if I if if we end up doing a paperback version, and you know, whenever you you, ha- you do a paperback version, they want you to write new content. So it's not just the same book, you know. So put in a something bonusy uh, if you can. When it's nonfiction, that is, and um, so like for Nefarious, when it went paperback, I didn't have to do that. When Rules for Patriots did, I did. Okay, because Nefarious is nonfiction, but it's it's shrouded in a fiction style of, of of storytelling. This is straight up nonfiction. So if we end up doing a paperback version of Truth Bombs, you know they'll want to do bonus material, and I can tell you, I, I think I know what my bonus material will be. And you're going to get a, a glimpse of it uh, next hour because the opposite instinct from what we're going to be deconstructing next hour with this week's chapter is catching up. I mean, it's, it is a race to the bottom. And the opposite instinct of this now is something that has accelerated uh, quite a bit. Uh, over the course of the last uh, year since I finished this manuscript. But we'll talk about that coming up next hour. Of course, I mentioned uh, we're coming off uh, Easter and Passover weekend. Uh, For those of us that are blessed to live in a free country, uh, for all of its faults, this is still the freest nation on earth. Uh, Praise God for that. And and that gives us the opportunity to go to our houses of worship uh, and to hear the word of God, to honor him, for the miracles that uh, those days represent. But there are closed countries around the world where the governments uh, in these countries, they don't want their people to be exposed to that inspiration. They don't want them to be hope-filled because people that are inspired, people that are hope-filled are a threat to oppressive regimes. They tend to be far less tolerant of being oppressed. And that's where our friends and partners at Back to Jerusalem come in. Uh, The heart of their ministry is to take God's word to what are called these closed countries all over the world, like communist China, Somalia, Iran, North Korea, but they need our help. They've taken God's word. They have put it into a downloadable electronic form. That's 
only about uh, the size of a pill, which makes it easier to to sneak past the gatekeepers in these oppressive countries. But that costs money uh, in terms of manufacturing to delivery. It's about $15 to get one of these electronic Bibles into the hands of somebody who's persecuted in a closed country. If this sounds like a cause you would like to support, here's how. BlazeHelp.org, that's the website, BlazeHelp.org. Or just give them a call at 844-305-0566. 844-305-0566. And now, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by It Happened Again. Sri Lankan police have arrested 24 people in connection with a series of suicide bombings at hotels and churches on Easter Sunday, which left, as of Monday morning, 290 people dead and over 500 injured. The Sri Lankan government on Monday blamed National Throeith Jamath a radical Islamic organization for the attack. Officials also claimed the group had help from international allies. Aside from Sri Lankans, citizens from Australia, Britain, China, Japan, Portugal, and the United States were killed in the bombings. A top police official for the island nation reportedly warned about the possibility of bombings thanks to a tip from an unnamed foreign intelligence agency, but the country obviously failed to act. Hillary Clinton says, On this holy weekend for many faiths, we must stand united against hatred and violence. I'm praying for everyone affected by today's horrific attacks on Easter worshipers and travelers in Sri Lanka. Barack Obama says, The attacks on tourists and Easter worshipers in Sri Lanka are an attack on humanity. On a day devoted to love, redemption, and renewal, we pray for the victims and stand with the people of Sri Lanka. An editor for BuzzFeed says, Suspect we'd be hearing a lot more outrage from Trump and company if the Christians killed in Sri Lanka were white. In other news, this weekend was a weekend of reactions to the Mueller report. Mitt Romney, in typical fashion, concerned trolled the president, saying it's good news there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with collusion, but says he's sickened by the dishonesty of the people around the president. Beta O'Rourke said, I, I am very concerned about by the mendacity, the lying, um, the cover-ups and the attempts to cover up within the the Trump administration. And absolutely, there should be uh, consequences and accountability for that. Cory Booker said. Do you think there should be a conversation about impeachment right now? No. I think right now we should continue this investigation. I think Mueller should come before and testify. I don't think we should uh, be having that conversation. MSNBC found the church where Robert Mueller attends with his wife and pulled this stunt on Easter Sunday. Uh, Sir, could could I ask you a couple of questions? Will you testify before Congress, sir? No, no comment. Are you sure about that, sir? Would, if, no if he were anybody but the president, would Mr. Trump be indicted, sir? Now that you, now that you finished, now that you finished, the, uh, sir, why didn't you make a recommendation to Congress one way or the other, sir? Are you going on vacation at least somewhere? Did the Attorney General accurately characterize your positions on conspiracy and obstruction, sir? And Donald Trump went golfing. With Rush Limbaugh, Border Patrol agents apprehended two MS-13 gang members in the Tucson sector after they illegally entered the United States this weekend. In completely unrelated news, Mitch McConnell says he's making it a priority of his to change the age for buying tobacco products from 18 to 21. And finally, it's Earth Day, the day each year we re-put the mental back in environmentalists. Like Ira Einhorn, the founder of Earth Day, who murdered his ex-girlfriend and composted her body. Or like these chicks. Extreme biohazard. 
data from the deeper, denser dimensions. And so it is an extreme biohazard to make justifications for parasitism. That's true. It isn't okay. Friends, we have enough humans on the planet. We don't need any more humans. It is not okay for women to have babies and stop contributing to the process under the pretense that they're doing a good thing by staying home and raising children. We don't need children. If you find yourself pregnant, there are options and you can have an abortion. No babies. Cut off the baby factories. We have 7.5 billion with a B humans on the planet, that's too much. And of course, the most mental environmentalists of them all. Deep in the woods of North Carolina, an extremist eco-group called Earth First bewails the violation of American nature. I want to mourn the loss of all the old growth trees I've seen and tell them that we love them and that we don't want them to die. That there are some people here who do care. So I want you to know that, trees. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged, but I didn't scream and I didn't cry. And I need to. And that's what happened while we were away. <laughs> Listening, what, that woman saying, don't have any more babies, what would you guess? She's probably pushing 60, probably. All right. So if, if we're going to go, she, she sucks at her own utilitarianism. Who has a better chance of contributing forthrightly to human progress at this point? A child of untapped potential or a 60-year-old? Yeah, what's she still Adult. doing here, man? Yeah. Why don't we just start with her? I mean, she's staring down the barrel any day now of being a loss leader from a from a medicine standpoint, right? So, because she's an expert, let's Logan run this son of a gun. Whatever right? this was, she, yeah. she's keeping the chakras in balance. Or yeah, something. I mean, I, I mean that that you know, she's sixty. I mean, she's kind of used up. You know, been there, done that, been ridden hard, put away wet. So, what is she contributing at sixty right now? What, what, I mean, what invention is she likely to to glom onto? What relationship is she likely to restore? Or what? What endeavor is she likely to contribute to to the advancement of human human progress at her advanced age? If we're going to be utilitarian about this, then the the kids actually are the untapped potential that could still be molded, that could still be uh, mentored into being good, obedient little statists. The die is kind of cast for that broad, right? Yeah, but the start world, with her. The world isn't just going to pull pot itself, Steve. We need leaders like her to no doubt around to crack the whip. It, 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 there it is. It's the old Ronald Reagan line. It, I, I, when he once observed, I once said, I've, "I've observed that everybody that's for abortion has already been born." Indeed, Aaron's montage today uh, is brought to you by our friends at Rid You Zone, who want to help you get rid of the blahs about failing your New Year's resolutions. If you are convinced, I cannot win the battle of the bulge. If you're struggling to get back up on that horse to get healthy, uh, give Rid You Zone a try. It is not a stimulant. Uh, it's only got three ingredients. One of them's rice. The other is OEA, which is the main substance you find in olive oil. And this is uh, one of the primary regulators and benefactors of our metabolism. Our bodies produce this. It's just that our bodies produce less of it the older we get. So, I mean, 
if you want to go to the store and and be really aggressive about it and just drink an entire bottle of olive oil a day to get your OEA, try to kick that metabolism in a high gear or maybe convince it to stop eating, you could do that. Or you can just take one capsule of Riduzone. And right now, Riduzone is running 30% off a three-month supply if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code. So use promo code Steve when you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U. Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for RidUZone.com, promo code Steve. Um, we're going to talk on our roundtable today about, uh, we're going to survey, uh, do an impeachment survey of prominent Democrats uh, over the weekend. They really had their first opportunity uh, en masse uh, to react to what was in the Mueller report. And we're going to do that on the Blaze round, Blaze TV roundtable coming up later on today for our subscribers. So we are going to table that conversation. And as I was reading through both yesterday and today, uh, the aftermath of, of of what happened in Sri Lanka. Some words of encouragement came to me. I want to share them with you. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written. King of kings and Lord of lords. We have this notion of this hippie Jesus in our culture today. And what's described here in the final chapter of his story is a dreaded sovereign. One who will not look at the score, but determine what the score is. And it is at these moments where I think we need to find comfort in the real Jesus those worshipers went to worship yesterday and not the one we have conjured up in our Western popular media. Because as we speak right now, the Islamo-fascists who did this to those hundreds of victims are in the midst of regretting the decision and the action they have taken for all of eternity with an unspeakable punishment we couldn't begin to describe. 
by the same power that showed us mercy and grace that we just commemorated over Easter. Do not trifle with him. And you can pass your laws and you can make your bombs and you can send your snarky tweets. You will all come face to face with him the same. And when you do, your insults, your scoffs, your body counts, your man-made codes and pleas for tolerance and fake diversity won't stand a chance. Question I asked you last Thursday during Theology Thursday. Despite all the evidence given to you, those of you who don't want to believe because of the cost you must pay to do so. Have you counted the cost of not doing so? Have you counted that cost? There's 20-some-odd men who thought they were serving their demon god yesterday. And they're in hell right now. I can promise you. They're counting the cost. This isn't a game. And I'm, I, I almost don't want to diminish the human toll of our brethren that were blown to smithereens yesterday. What is the count now? Is it at 300 or close to it? Close to it, last I checked. That's not even counting their loved ones. The authorities were warned several times over the last couple of weeks, apparently, that this was coming. And no action. Or whatever action they took was benign and harmless. You know, like the fake hippie Jesus we've conjured up. I almost don't want to, out of fear of diminishing their deaths and their sacrifices. Use it to segue to what we here in the West debated about this over the weekend. But in a way, it's in a, in a way, it's a fitting metaphor. In a way. And you know what? I'm I'm gonna call an audible here. My conscience is pricking at me. I sent you some stuff I wanted to bring up, Aaron. Sure. I, I'm not going to bring it up. Now that I'm just doing this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this through in real time. I, I, I cannot bring myself to sit here. And this is, I, please, I hope this doesn't come across. I, I really don't want this to come across as pious. I'm sitting here in a Detroit Tiger, Kirk Gibson throwback batting jersey. Okay. It's sharp, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not this I don't so this I don't want this to come across as pious I'm not and boy oh boy I don't want this to seem like a Jesus juke because literally 10 minutes before we went on the air we were lining up to go here and just now that I'm verbalizing this I can't bring myself to do it I'm sorry I know what you want me to do and I wanted to do it 
I was fully prepared to go count how many people leading the spirit of the age, progressivism in the West, referred to Easter worshipers. You ever been an Easter worshiper? You ever been referred to as that in your life? No. No. I, what about you, Aaron? You ever been Maybe by some hyper-fundamentalists that think Easter is a pagan holiday. Yeah. It doesn't mean rising of the sun, but it means that some pagan goddess named Esther. Right. Um, uh, I, I can't. And, I, and I'll say this to you. I know that it's not coincidental. It's fascinating to watch how they instantly all get on the same song sheet on the left. You know? I mean, I, it's amazing really to watch. And I don't know how, how often it's purposeful or it's just, you know, uh, a reflex. Because I, I doubt Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton compared notes of what talking points to use and so many other people. Okay. And then I'm, 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 I'm going to be told um, by another group of you. Well, Steve, imagine if a Democrat were president and on Easter sent out a whole bunch of tweets and they never referenced Easter, never used the term resurrection, never invoked the name of Jesus. And instead, if, if, imagine if Obama was president and his number one Easter tweet was congratulating himself for what a great job he's doing. What would you all be doing today? I, I, there's about 300 dead saints in Sri Lanka. Actually, no, not them. Because as horrific as their deaths are, they're wearing crowns right now. Their loved ones, though, the ones they've left behind who are mourning their deaths, bearing what's left of their bodies. They'd love to sit around here and have the luxury of metaphorically blowing each other up over a Twitter scoreboard. I, I, was, I was intent to do it because I'm a, a white guy from the West. I'm, I don't face this existential level of persecution daily. I can't identify with it. So, I mean, I'm the dog that was going to return to its own vomit. But now that we're verbalizing this, I can't bring myself to do it. Because what happened in that church in Sri Lanka, that's the real battle. That's what the real stakes are. The vast majority of stuff we're arguing about, I literally watched... People on both sides want to relitigate Watergate over the weekend. There's a saying, youth is wasted on the, on the young, liberty is wasted on the lazy. How's that? Let's coin that one. Your thoughts, gentlemen. I hate to throw this at you, but I know this is not what we had geared up to do right before the start of the show, but I just can't bring myself to, to go there. Well, it's not just in the shadow of this, but it's really on a certainly weekly, if not daily basis, where I'm pondering existentially well, along the lines of what you're talking about. Steve, how, how do we change the conversation? How, how do we continue to hold uh, that which we hold dear in a closed hand, uh, but 
talk about it, write about it, think about it in a way that plants seeds on the sort of ground that will bloom and grow instead of on the thorny ground, the rocky ground. Uh, I, I mean, I have a, diff a definite opinion about uh, the language used, the tweets. I tweeted about it. Uh, the, the point to drive home, though, is not, not to make an idol of that in our belief, not to be the thing we fight the hardest for, while we, in our own lives, generally speaking, are just as readily uh, capable of dismissing Christ's sacrifice and resurrection celebrated vis-a-vis -vis Easter as, as anybody. I mean, Steve may or may not be covering this in the next couple of minutes, but if, if the, the, the language irritates me, and I have a take on it, but it also irritates me just as much that Mitch McConnell is the man he is and is doing what he is doing. And if I don't have that balance in my life, I'm absolutely making an idol of the uh, the, the language thing and the Democrat tribe, while my own tribe there is shaking me just as hard and just as deep, yet I will keep doing whatever they tell me. A real faith born out of Easter does not allow you to get very far down all of these roads. Uh, cer certainly, we, we have feet of clay. We will make mistakes, but we won't go full cult because Christ calls us back. We are a day removed from the holiest day on the Christian calendar. And unless we get this lesson, uh, the revival that we regularly talk about that show simply will not happen. We had choices uh, this last week, uh, multiple choices. Um, on Monday, it was the, um, it was the burning of, of Notre Dame Cathedral. We had a choice to, um, and I'm talking we, not just the show, but we collectively uh, who are trying to keep our eyes open have a choice whether or not to uh, complain about Emmanuel Macron and whether or not this is a, uh, you know, just a symbol of the West and, and whether or not uh, Macron is going to allow stupid architects to remake this. And during Holy Week, we had the, we had the choice between that and a thousand different subplots related to that, or we could have seen it for what it was, which is what you pointed out on Tuesday, Steve, which is all of this, a lot of this burned down, but what was remaining was the cross and the foundation on uh, Monday, Thursday, we had the choice we can uh, invest all of our time and effort and um, intellect and brain power and emotion and energy into analyzing the Mueller report and what that's going to be instead of remembering what we're supposed to remember on that day. Same goes for Good Friday as well. Um, we have the same choice here. Do we focus on a mud pie flinging Twitter war? Or do we remember where these saints are and the divine justice that is being done to the perpetrators? Do we really put that in perspective? Because so much, and I use the mud pie flinging uh, you know, example on purpose, so much of what we talk about and what is talked about on a day-to-day -day basis within the realm of politics and culture that we, you know, that we inhabit so many days— is akin to those two peasants in Monty Python and the Holy Grail as the king as King Arthur comes along and they're just make they're literally making mud pies out of BS 
and they're waxing poetic, waxing poetic about the most nonsensical, but they sound really smart, nonsensical manners about what, you know, the way government and culture should be. And at the end of the day, all they're doing is making piles of feces. That's so much of what inhabits our culture and our politics and what is talked about on a day-to-day basis. Every one of us, let's, let's just, no, you have no BS. Every one of us is guilty of that to some extent. The, 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 the choice that we have to make, though, is whether or not we, at least at some points, will step back and see the bigger picture. And I hope that we, and I'm saying we, not just our show, not just uh, we, anybody listening to this, will step back and see the larger picture on a somewhat regular basis. Our friends at Home Title Lock want to let you know about the story of Bill and Betty from Portland. Uh, online thieves in the U.S. and abroad found the couple's home title exposed on a website. So they forged documents to make it look like they were the new owners and borrowed thousands of dollars against their property's equity. Bill and Betty didn't know until uh, the late payment notices poured in, but it got worse. A foreign bank ended up foreclosing on them and they were evicted from their own home. They spent a fortune trying to get their home back. Uh, They did not have home title lock for pennies a day. Home title lock would have put a virtual barrier around their home's title and mortgage. It'll do the same for you as well. So here's what you need to do. Go to hometitlelock.com, hometitlelock.com, and see already if your home has been tampered with. You can register for a free title scan and report. That's a $100 value, but it's free today uh, for those of you following us on The Blaze. Hometitlelock.com. That's hometitlelock.com. Bob Vanderblatt's is next. Well, throughout the course of uh, the last year, we have really seen the left cross the line when it comes to going after uh, free speech, Uh, shadow bans on social media, blocked uh, ads, demonetization on YouTube, uh, the way searches are restricted on Google. They won't even take paid advertising uh, from the new Unplanned film, uh, for example. Uh, and, and, and here's what you need to understand is that, you know, it's almost impossible to live nowadays uh, without a mobile phone. Yet there's really only four mobile phone networks all over the country because of how much it costs to maintain a network. And so what really the difference between any of them is, is what they do with your money when you give it to them. Do they end up helping to fund some of these efforts we just talked about? Because chances are the answer is yes, unless you have made the switch to Patriot Mobile. It's the only veteran-laid mobile phone company. It's really America's only conservative mobile phone company. Uh, They instead, after they're done, uh, you know, paying their bills, uh, they give to causes that you support, like PragerU, for example, Alliance Defending Freedom and more. And and right now you can find plans for as low as $2,500 for $25 a month. $2,500 a month wouldn't be much of a deal. Okay. 25 bucks a month though is pretty good. All right. So here's how it works. Uh, you need to give them a call. 1-800-UP-PATRIOT. That's the number. 1-800-UP-PATRIOT. When you go there, use the code BLAZE and they will waive your activation fee uh, when you make the switch. 1-800-UP-PATRIOT. Use the code BLAZE to waive your activation fee or... Just visit the website, patriotmobile.com slash blaze, patriotmobile.com slash blaze, and they'll waive your activation fee when you go there to make the switch as well.
Let's welcome in our good friend Bob Vanderplatz from The Family Leader. Good to see you, brother. Uh, good to happy see Easter. You. How are happy you? Happy Easter to you. I'm doing really well. Had a great Easter. So um, we've had, uh, what now? We're going on day four uh, since the Mueller report was uh, released. Uh, it continues to be the the main uh, source of news uh, and uh, reactions from our political class. And it's understandable. I mean, we have been deluged with this topic for, what, two years? Uh, this was the first weekend news cycle with the Sunday morning shows post-release of the report that it's going to be the focus. What I've, what I've been kind of focused on, though, uh, is, is trying to see where the conversation goes with this, for the most part, behind us. Except I don't think it's going to be behind us, and I have a theory why. I, I think we're in a, you know, Mitch McConnell announced a couple of days ago, like his new legislative priority is raising the tobacco age. I mean, I, I don't... From a tobacco state. Y- yeah, so, I mean, where's that at right now on your priority list, do you think? 14th, it, 96th? <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about 35th. it until I heard about it, that uh, you'll raise the tobacco age. Right, right. I, I, so I have a theory, Bob. I want you to tell me what you think. Right? I, and I wrote about one side of this theory for conservative review over the weekend. See, I... Beyond just partisanship, and you know every side's guilty of it, but beyond that, I, I think there's actually a very practical motivation why Democrats and the left won't let this one go. Tell me what issue. Tell me what issue they would run on. If you look at since the left's ascendancy in the Democratic Party was cemented with the nomination of George McGovern the year before I was born, every time a Democrat has won the White House since then, one of two things has occurred. Either the Republican incumbent is is marinated or tinged with scandal, or the economy has gone, gone soft or south. Every single time, from the post-Watergate election, Ford pardoning Nixon, tinged with scandal. Um, you look at uh, the recession election of, of 92, the, uh, the TARP, Wall Street meltdown election of 2008, Democrats simply don't win unless there's a Republican incumbent with scandal and or the economy is is soft or south. So unless the the economy does that in the next year. It has to be scandal. It has to be scandal. Because, and the reason why this is the case is, what, 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 what else are they going to run on? Are they going to run on more MSN, more MS-13 gangs and, and human traffickers at the border? Are they going to run on gun confiscation? Are they going to run on raise everybody's taxes? Are they going to run on Medicare for all? Are they going to run on give birth to the baby and then you can kill it if you want to? They they really don't. Ha- they they have pushed them. And this has been the case for many years now, but it's even more blatant now that they have pushed themselves so far to the left. I don't know what issue other than orange man bad would they pivot to. That's the only thing that they have. And I think what it is is that they did that in 2016 as well. I mean, first of all, they elevated Donald Trump, but then it was like, he's just a bad guy. Everybody knows he's a bad guy. You'll never elect him, so you'll elect Hillary Clinton. Well, now, if he's a bad guy, which we all are bad, that's why we have Easter. Mm -hmm. If he's a bad guy like all of us, but he's doing some really good things and the economy's uh, going through the roof, I just don't see why they would let this scandal go. That's why I think you got Elizabeth Warren right now saying, you know, impeachment. What you're going to do is see these 20 presidential candidates all trying to make a a place for themselves go further to the left, further to the left. So now we need to impeach Trump. We're not going to let the Mueller report 
go because Barr's a bad guy. You know, he's a crony of Trump, so therefore we're going to cascade Barr in that same light. The, their only hope of winning back the White House, their only hope at a, at a strong presidential year election in 2020 for the White House and for the Senate and for the U.S. House is they've got to run against Donald Trump. This is all against Trump. It has nothing to do with the merit of anything. Because when you look at the composite of the voter that's going to decide this next election, um, it's, it's neighborhoods like where you and I live. Sure. It's women in neighborhoods where you and I live, but men and women, but certainly if we're going to be even more micro-targeting, it's going to be the women that live in neighborhoods where women you and I- Women and minorities. We're in neighborhoods where, I, I, I think the minority vote is pretty much a given now. I think it's going to be white women in neighborhoods where we live, okay? Um, I think that the, 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 the other issues we mentioned, yes, they inspire the democratic base, but the blowback with that group, with those groups of people we just talked about, the, it's those are points of diminishing returns. Oh, without question. The, that the, that's why. Yes, they fire up the Republican base by staying on Orange Man bad as well. But that's a voting block that Trump has lost. Um, you know, in in two thousand ten, uh, fourteen, and sixteen. Trump won suburban women or Republicans won suburban women in those three elections by an average of five points. They lost them by eight points in the, in the 2018 midterms. I mean, that, that voting block is the number one reason that Nancy Pelosi is speaker of the house. And we saw here in Iowa with the kinds of candidates that they ran at the Republicans that they defeated all were meant to go after white suburban women. All right. So your, your goal of, of going of, of so firing up your base that, the blowback from the other side is is much greater doing it on issues because the Democrats are to the left of most of those suburban white women on the issues. It's just those suburban white women on a personality issue don't like Trump. And that's yeah. a practical reason why they have to stay there. I'm resetting this for a reason. The Republican response to this, what what issues are they pivoting to? Well, I mean, if you're if you putting a McConnell out there saying, you know, we're going to raise the tobacco age, to me it's a thing of, I mean, if I'm Trump, I'm going, you guys are running on infanticide? Is that really what you want to run mm-hmm. on? You want to you want to run on the Green Deal? You know, where we're stop flying airplanes, driving cars, those t- you want to run on open borders? Is that what you want to run on? You There's so many, you want to run on that, that uh, Israel, you want to run on the nation of Israel for a little while? Those are all things that would drive the white suburban woman right back to Trump. So their only hope is he's bad, he's bad. Look how bad of a guy he is and how bad of a role model he is. Elect us, but here comes all the other issues that come with it as well. So I I don't think they have a shot at running on the issues. And the thing is, in this Democrat primary, you're going to see them getting pushed further and further to the left where they're completely out of mainstream America. So I I, I think that on the right – or on the Republican side. I don't know that there is what the right is anymore. Uh, I don't think they want to let the Mueller thing go either. Uh, And I think the reason why is because the Democrats cannot run and govern on their issues because they they lose elections every time they do. The Republicans will not run and govern on their issues. I mean, if I could, I've, I've said this before, if I could sum up every ounce of, of political polling I have seen in my career 
on Democrats and Republicans, whether it's stuff that's been shared with me that's proprietary privately or what we've studied publicly, I could sum it all up in one sentence. The American people don't like Democrats and they don't trust Republicans. That would sum up all the polling I've seen on Republicans and Democrats my entire career. I think the president's not an ideologue, which at times has served him well and at other times it has not. But I think he's much more comfortable. I mean, look at what he was tweeting yesterday about the Mueller report and, you know, on Easter. That was his, he's much more comfortable in a tug of war over his persona, I think, than he is having an existential or grand conversation on on the direction of the country, even though he's capable of articulating it. We saw it in the State of the Union sure. address. But in terms of what he is, you always revert to what you're comfortable with, right? Mm-hmm. And any whether you're an athlete or in any line of work, you always revert to what you're comfortable with. The reason why we remember the moments when he breaks stride and goes against the scouting report, like what we saw in the State of Union address, is because it's not what we typically see. What we typically see is he wants to argue his personality versus the other side that wants to fixate on his personality as well. Where if I were running his political operation, everything I would be about would be, are, are we begging, are we forcing the suburban white woman to make this choice? What do you like less? what Trump tweets or what they stand for. And if it becomes a, if, if there's no attempt to govern beyond what he tweets, then you're not going to force them to make that choice. Sure. He's, he, he has been very effective in his presidency in forcing Democrats to get out from behind their talking points and confirm what people like me have been trying to tell people like Charles Grassley and others for years, what they're really about. They're doing it now. He's, he's, sure. he's goaded them to come out into the open. What he's been really ineffective at is getting his party to respond and react po- properly to it. Can he do that? Because that may be the key to winning uh, the presidency next year. Well, first of all, I think what Trump has been really good at, you know, I've talked about it a lot, is he's exposing people. And, and so I think part of it is, in some level of me, I really believe he thinks I can win on every issue. Every issue they come at, America is not there. And I think he's got a pulse for that. Can he get his party to respond? I don't know. But can he stay on the narrative of, look, guys, this was a witch hunt. They're just trying to take me down. They'll stop at nothing. What he's trying to do, I think, is trying to combat what he believes is their strongest asset of he's a bad guy. We're going to try to take him down. And he's trying to counter by going, this is a complete witch hunt. This had no this had no legitimacy from day one. All it was was aimed at taking me down and understanding that we can win on the issues. What he could use out of McConnell, what he could use out of the leaders in the Republican House and Senate is saying, here are the issues. Here are the issues. And when he gets to that debate, when he gets to that State of the Union, I just don't know how they debate him on those issues because he's had success on those issues, and America is not going to be for what we talked about earlier, the issues that they're standing for or that they're advocating. So then there's no point to doing the next 18 months then, in your view? It's well, a fait accompli. No, no, no. There's no, nothing I, he could say, nothing he could do, and there's nothing they could say, nothing they could do. Well, I, I definitely think, man, we talked about it earlier, and and we said it many times. If Trump stays on issues— Okay, because the tweets is what gets them into trouble. The twi- so the statesmanship is what gets people wondering about should he be president. The executive part, the issue part of it, is what has been winning for him. 
So you would say, why not just keep driving the issues? You know, throw away this Mueller report, stay on That's the issues. My, I agree with you. On, on those types you of know, things. You know, you've got some white women in your friends and family. They don't like the guy. They, They're pretty conservative. Exactly. I do too. How many of them like him talking about Mueller witch hunt? How many? The, they don't. They, I don't know a they, single one of them that They would I know much that rather does. have him talk about, I'm pro-life, therefore in fantasy. How many of them like uh, it when he talks about them wanting to execute live babies? Yeah. All of them. All of them. All of them like it when he talks about that. None of them like it when he talks about Mueller witch hunt. Now, the problem we have, though, is in my line of work, what do you think generates the clicks? The clicks. There's no doubt about it. The media is completely driven by He is media obsessed because he's largely a media creation. And so he he gets fed off of watching what – right? Sure. And so – I, I'm worried about a feedback loop. That that would be that would be my concern. I agree with you. I don't foresee a way. No matter who, the, I, I think it's way too early to say the election is done. Way too early. I do agree that the environment that would be necessary for him to win re-election and with a mandate is is being we're creating that environment without question. I don't think is. there's any, that's even not even debatable. I agree. But in it, once we get to October in those debates. I don't think he can lose them either. Be- not, and it's, it's because of how honest they are about where they're at on the issues. I mean, at this point, all, it, just let them talk. They're just so far out of the mainstream. But you've got to get yourself st- as strong enough as a candidate, though, that you are in a position to take, to, to, to take advantage of that rather than hoping that's your Hail Mary pass, right? And what I see right now is I don't see a lot of interest in governing. I don't think he's that interested in governing. I don't think, where's the border crisis? Where are we at on that? But, you know, yeah. I don't think, we know Republicans like Mitch McConnell have never been interested in, or at least what we would call governing. And I'm not sure the industry that I live in really yeah. wants to let the Mueller report go either because they're not interested. We're not going to sell a lot of clicks on, hey, Republicans aren't going to keep their promises again, guys. Yeah. Not a lot of clicks to be had there on that. There, there's no doubt. I agree with you. He is media obsessed. He's a media creation. But he also likes the fight. He's a New Yorker at heart. He loves this type of a fight. He loves this type of fight over his personality. He's been doing that fight for years. But I think you're exactly right. If you're his campaign team, you will win the white suburban woman on the issues and by painting how far outside the mainstream this Democrat Party has become. If it stays in a Twitter war and about I just don't like him, that's where you say – you know, now you're throwing up that you could actually get beat here. I mean, I do agree with you on that. So I've got a minute before we have to close things out. One, if you were in the White House right now, one-on-one with Donald Trump, you would give him what advice? Well, first of all, I don't know if I could give him that advice if I was in the White House. If it was he and I at a neutral setting, I'd say I would start running ads already. I'd start, I mean, I'd be out there already highlighting your accomplishments, everything that this Trump administration has been doing. He's got gazillions of dollars. Put it out there already. Start painting those guys for who they are and start driving issue after issue after issue home. So when they came, all he is is crazy. At least the white suburban woman can go and say he's crazy, but he's doing a crazy good job. See, I've been advocating that for months. And the other reason I like it, too, is it kind of puts him in a position where he has to talk issues even if he doesn't want to. Let me give you one more thing. That's what he's baiting. Let me give you one more thing. And this is where I think you would fit in. I believe his campaign and him, they should be taking the never Trumpers. You know, the hashtag never Trumpers and saying, okay, now why are they for Trump? Because it's a difference between about why were they never Trump before to why would they be for Trump today? I think that's a big advantage to Donald Provided Trump. Provided it's issue based and not because right. uh, they made me a Fox News contributor. 
Sure. You know, provided it's issue based. Exactly. Yeah, I agree that. And where you powerful. still call balls and strikes. Yeah, I agree. Good Get to see it. you, man. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Hey, Real Estate Agents I Trust was started a few years ago by Glenn Beck and his friends uh, because they were tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the results when they were needed the most. And you're looking for three things when you're looking for an agent. Uh, you're looking for somebody who understands it's a complicated process to buy or sell a home. You're looking for somebody who understands you can't just use an algorithm to determine market value. There may be, for example, an individual family situation for why one particular home in your neighborhood uh, was, was bought uh, or sold uh, for you know lower than the market value, and then you need somebody too that you get along with because you're going to be you know working really closely together, and it's a stressful situation. Uh, so you're just not going to get the bottom line results you want if the relationship isn't there. If you're looking for that kind of an agent, you can find them or her at realestateagentsitrust.com. These are agents that have been vetted. Uh, This is about transparency, holding them accountable, not finding clients for agents, but finding an agent that is worthy of you, the client. You want to buy or sell your home for the right price at the right time this year. Go to the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. That's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, when we come back here for hour number two, we're going to continue our uh, our study uh, of my new book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believed to Our Own Demise. Uh, it's This chapter we're going to discuss is one of the most unique things I've written in my career. And if I we do a paperback version and we're going to do some bonus material, the opposite side of this is actually what I think I'm going to be writing about. We'll get into that here next hour. Stay tuned, live and on demand right here on The Blaze. <laughs> We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me. And if you'd like to join us, steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. If you're listening today via Blaze Radio or on the podcast, it's D-E-A-C-E. If you are listening to us today, by the way, on demand on the podcast, if uh, you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at the podcast platform of your choice, We would greatly appreciate that. Thousands of you have done that for us already. Thank you very much. 888-900-3393 is also the number here at The Blaze. 888-900-3393. Hey, if you struggle with uh, bursts of energy or you need some, uh, you're struggling with a lack thereof, uh, and we all could use that pick-me-up, right? But let me tell you what you don't do. Don't go to the place your manufacturer has you take your car to get a little bottle with 7,000 ingredients that you can't pronounce, let alone spell, all right, and, and use that to fuel your body, okay? You, you, you take your car there. You're not a car. That's my, that's my profound statement for the day. You're a person. You're not a, you're not a car. So as a person, you should go get your energy from your manufacturer, uh, nature, creator, all right? Uh, That's where Dawn to Dust comes in from the team of top physicians, from our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, 10 hours, up to 10 hours of renewed energy and focus with no jitters, no afternoon crash, no calories, and no sugar. 
Sounds too good to be true, but it's not. I use this product on a frequent basis myself. I highly recommend it. You can visit BrickHouseSteve.com to get a bottle of this groundbreaking formula today. And if you use my name as a promo code, Steve, you'll get 15% off of your first order. All right? You've got nothing to lose, but a whole bunch of energy to gain. BrickHouseSteve.com is the website. BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve for 15% off of your first order. Well, let's continue. We've been doing this uh, each Monday on the show. Uh, We've been going through my most recent book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies. Conservatives believed our own demise. Endorsed by a host of people you like a heck of a lot more than me. Ben Shapiro, Matt Walsh, Glenn Beck, Mark Levin, Dan Bongino, etc. And we've been taking a look at each of the lies that I sought to debunk in this book. And this chapter is uh, is one of the more unique ones I have written in my career. We're going to look at lie number nine. My favorite politician will save America. And today's truth bomb in response to this lie. It's far more likely we'll have to save America from your favorite politician than it is any politician will save us. And when you go through this, uh, this chapter, it took me a, a painstaking amount of time. I was exhausted after I edited it. Yes. I mean, you asked a lot of me on this one. It, it, well, you know, there's a lot of red ink here. Yeah, when we did the audio book, my ears were bleeding. You were talking for just Does he forever. ever shut up? Yeah. <laughs> Indeed, this chapter contains one word. And then we just move on to the next chapter. No. Publisher came back and said, hey, I think you uh, forgot to send over some text when I sent over the manuscript. And again, you said, no. 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 <laughs> like you just want a one word chapter and then a blank space on the rest of the page. I said, yes. Yes. See. <laughs> yes. See. <laughs> yes. So there's only one word here. Now, you asked me a couple of weeks ago, Todd, and you seemed to be a little nervous when you asked. So, are we going to do like two chapters this week? Because that one chapter, that's what you kept referring to it as, that one chapter. That one chapter is coming up with just one word. And I said, nope. Oh, I'm, I, I'm quite confident we can carry a conversation with just this one-worded chapter, given what we chronicle on a daily basis. Basis. And you excel at pregnant pauses, so it just might be yes. a little longer than normal. But just in case I was wrong, part two of this conversation, we're going to attack this from the other end, okay? Um, because what I'm seeing now, and I, I teased this at the top of the show, when you do a paperback version of a nonfiction book, they, they want you to put like bonus material in there because it's more marketable than going back to largely the same group of people and saying, hey, buy the book a second time you already bought once. But now you've got new material, updated stuff that you put in there. And the update that I would write if we, if the publisher decides to go with a public, uh, to do a paperback edition, the update I'm going to write is the inverse of this. Least like, favorite po- politician? I, I, I will explain when I, that, that now, I'm just going to leave it there. All right. Because this is now rearing, going this is now most of my inbox now. I think I've I think I've chased away most of you that actually believe this. 
<laughs> I think you've given up on us and are watching and consuming other uh, conservative content out there. Um, but Mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, but uh, now the, now our, the other half of our audience, we need to drive away, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and now you people. <laughs> and now we turn to you, the remaining, the leftovers. All right. Got to get the rest of our uh, Review Zone and sponsor commercials in before they all leave. Yes. You know. Yes. Okay. But we'll get into that in the next segment. All right. I will turn the conversation now over to you all. Yes. It's yours. See, you want us to now? You've... Yeah. I want to start. Actually, yes. I do have a question. Okay. No. Nice. See, yeah. Nice. Automatically, can I. Can I stick with this by elaborating? Is, isn't silence golden on this? Well, I have an elaboration. I, I thought for sure you guys would have an, have a few things you want, would want me to elaborate on. Well, listen, I, I think this is beautifully snarky, uh, but it can be two things at the same time. It can be incredibly snarky and it can be incredibly sober. And to be sober, you dress it up in the other version of no that you regularly talk about this show on the show using uh, Rosa Parks. Uh, sometimes uh, it takes, and Steve's done it the last uh, couple Thursdays on Theology Sunday. In fact, that's what Theology Thursday is for, uh, to elaborate, to go deeper. That's what the, uh, Theology actually is, a, a, a going uh, deeper uh over the faith uh, but 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 sometimes uh you know it's this is a football and when he talks about rosa park saying no on the back of this bus it's this is a football time and, and god bless her for having the courage in that moment to say i don't know what's going to happen just like when steve talks about uh moses and his people with the back against uh, the wall I, I don't know what's going to happen but in a moment our faith must survive. Our faith must live. Our faith must be shown to the rest of the world. And to do that, sometimes you just say, hell no. I think the heart of this was summed up actually fairly well. I, I sent you guys a tweet of Steve's, I think on Friday, saying that I needed a cigarette uh, afterwards. <laughs> because you, you tweeted... Um, the the interesting uh, dynamic that's about to set itself set itself up, and I I underscored it in the montage as well. Where, you know, we got MS thirteen members coming into the United States, uh, uh, crossing in illegally, obviously, and Mitch McConnell wants to raise the age to buy tobacco products. Yet, many of the conservative smart sets and many who might not even like uh, Mitch McConnell, they just love their cocaine Mitch memes. They love the show votes. The favorite politician, you know, just this is the essence. We're not doing politics, guys. We are doing that again. I, I hearken back to that video that I played last week of that Indian village um, where they have that festival where they fling feces at uh, cow feces at each other. That we don't do politics anymore. We just do dueling tribalism. My favorite politician versus your favorite politician. My cocaine Mitch memes versus your Bernie Sanders, um, you know, uh, fill in the blank uh, memes and tweets and things like that. It's it's not politics. What is the definition of politics by, you know, rules for patriots? It's how we do civil war in this country. It's not civil war. We're, 
we're at recess right now, just flinging poo at each other, you know, doing spit. Uh, what are those little things that uh, I wasn't public school? Spit wads. Spit wads. You know, firing spit wads at each other. My favorite, Repu- my favorite Republican versus your favorite Democrat, or my favorite Republican versus your favorite Republican. My favorite faction versus yours. Um, it's 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 nothing. Full of sound and fury, fury signifying nothing. And it's every day. Nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. Nothing changes the dynamic whatsoever. And so Todd's main point a few minutes ago is so appropriate. Just say no. Just say no. And if you're going to have a favorite politician, shouldn't it, mustn't it, must it not be because they actually do accomplish something? There is a metric for weighing and measuring them yeah. based on your closed hand philosophy is that that should be undeniable. And we don't have that anymore. It's purely no, it's, based on zingers. Yeah, it, that is exactly exactly right. I mean, I don't, I couldn't tell you what, what is it? Joe Kennedy's um, Liberty score is off the top of my head, but uh, boy, oh boy, uh, he, he can, he can come up with some really nice one-liners. Like 50% yeah. last I checked. He, he yeah. comes up, I don't care. He comes with, up with some nice one-liners, Steve. That's all I care Devin about. Devin Nunez and, is 30 something percent. Yeah, but see, he pr- produced the 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 Nunes uh, memo, and that right. was really fun. And he's he's really been sticking it to the Democrats. And you know, um, cocaine. You know, if if you go to Mitch McConnell's website and you stumble upon a page uh, that doesn't exist, there's a picture of Merrick Garland, and that's really really funny because Merrick Garland doesn't exist uh, because of cocaine, Mitch. And it's just so much fun because we're not actually accomplishing anything, but we are getting our jollies off. So that's. That's really all that matters. That's a, a great point. What's happening here is our body politic comprehensively is becoming is 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 caught in the same cycle of dysfunction and self-fulfilling prophecies that the Republican Party caught itself in. So what what happened to the Republican Party is particularly on the issue of immigration when the, when when the party ends it'll be the issue of immigration that broke it there were there were plenty of other dynamics but the Im- issue of immigration was the straw that broke the camel's back and what you saw happen is that the donor class of the republican party wanted all the cheap labor they didn't like social issues either so that was just kind of the value added so we want cheap labor big government handouts for us instead of democratic causes and silence on social issues. And so the Republican Party's leadership felt caught between its base was moving further right on all of those things um, comprehensively while its donor class was moving to the left. So it started moving slightly to the left to appease the donor class. The more it moved to the left, the less likely its base was to support it. And so it had to keep moving to the left on those issues to get more donor dollars to take the place of the base support that it was losing. And this just created a self-fulfilling prophecy, this, this cycle of dysfunction, where in order to get what it wanted from its mega donors, it had to move left. But the more it moved left, the less support it got from its base. The less support it got from its base, the more support it needed from those donor dollars to subsidize the loss of its base support. 
And it's just and it's it's now caught in this cycle. It can't get out of it now. So the Republican Party is basically as insolvent as Social Security is. What yes. You're saying. Yeah. It's a shell game. It can't get out of it now. And this is why Trump. This is why Trump was able to survive saying incendiary things about the Bushes and the Iraq war and things that would doom a conventional Republican. His base was not a conventional Republican base. And it also tells you why he has been largely ineffective in getting the Republican Party to act on his agenda. Some of it is, sure, he doesn't stay focused. Some of it is his own issues. Every human being, though, would bring their own issues to 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 the job because there's only been one perfect human being ever. Okay. So those only, his issues only add to the problems, but they're not the source of the problem. The source of the problem is the Republican Party has zero to little interest in doing what you keep sending them them there to do. And unless they can do it in the most vapid, vapid, banal, banal, shallowy way of show voting, it will not even touch the stuff you care about, period. And they're just going to weigh Trump out because their donors don't want America firsty stuff. Their donors are globalists. And I don't mean that in the way we throw that term around now, like neocon, you know, like it, that, that's like the term du jour of the Reddit forum world. There really are neocons and there really are globalists. It's not just a term for everybody I don't agree with. Okay. They are just, they're just globalists. They own global conglomerates. They just, you know, they don't, they don't see the American southern border the same way you do. They see it as a way of exchanging goods and services. And amongst those goods and services are human capital that they need. Okay? So they're just going to wait them out. He'll be gone. I'm going to bring somebody else in. They think they think that's how this is going to work, by the way. It won't. But they think it. They think it will. Genie's out of the bottle. It won't be put back in now. But they think it will. That's why I keep telling you things aren't going to get better when Trump is gone. They're going to get worse. Much worse. Actually. Well, this is what's happening now in politics comprehensively. So much of this now, the economic environment is driven by what generates clicks. The problem is only about 23% of Americans have a Twitter account and very few of them have an active one. All right. Um, Upwards of 80% of the active Twitter accounts are outside of the United States. Active meaning someone who posts on a weekly, you know, some odd basis. Um, Facebook accounts. They're cracking down on political content on Facebook in general, but especially of the conservative variety. So the market now for people in my line of work, whether you work at Vox or The Blaze or you work at Fox or MSNBC, this market is largely driven by what generates clicks. The problem is what tends to generate clicks is a really clicky audience. If you see what I did there. Most Americans don't care about almost anything Aaron just described that we are flinging back and forth at each other. Most Americans don't have a clue what any foreign leader said about or any American leader said about Easter worshipers or Christians in Sri Lanka. And most Americans can't even point to Sri Lanka on a map, okay? And so we are generating just, and so what happens is, since that audience has become, is becoming more, the more meme we become, the more detached from the process America at large becomes, well, we still got to get our clicks, man. We got to pay the bills. 
So we still have to, so we've got to go deeper now into currying favor with an audience that responds to this content while we continue to drive away a wider audience that loads it. But we're really not sure what content they do want. So we've just kind of given up on America at large and we're just doing our own thing here with the, the, the core audience we know shows up to give us our clicks and we know what content they click on the most. So, and, and this is happening comprehensively. Not just, this is not just a conservative media lament. It's happening everywhere now. And so this is like what the, the dynamic that has broken the Republican party, I think irreparably is now infested all of our political body politic now. Regardless of your platform or where you're at, you large you have to generate an audience to get paid. And that audience though is predisposed to a certain kind of content. That content is the most likely to drive away the larger audience. Is what I'm saying makes sense? Of course. Yeah. And so we're creating the same cycle of dysfunction if you want to know why we won't let certain memes go, while we go back and forth, why we're relitigated Watergate over the weekend, and 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 we're and now we're going to argue John Dean and was Nixon framed? This is why. This is why. Because we still got to get our clicks, even though we're driving away mass masses of Americans. We still got to reach our bottom line, so we'll just keep producing the content that drives most of America away, but you respond, but certain groups of yous respond to. And that doesn't even count trying to bring a biblical worldview, which has the premise of this is a very narrow gate into the world of broadcasting <laughs> and feed your family doing this. I'm not even going to talk about my own personal, uh, you know, uh, quest. This is just the comprehensive environment we're in. That's why you keep hearing me say America is not Twitter. But the problem is those who decide what Americans get to see, they, this is their, it is to them. It's their natural habitat. And I don't know a way out of it. And there may not be. I mean, let me tell you a story really quick. Do you mind? I recently went through a really tough presidential election. I thought the person who ran... And won the GOP. I did everything I could to stop the guy who won the GOP nomination from winning it. He had a long documented history of opposing a lot of causes I believe in. People like you watching us and listening to us believe in. He had claimed to be a late convert to a lot of our issues. It's amazing how it just these rich guys suddenly decide that they're, they're, they're huge converts to our issues, right? When they decide there's nothing else left to do, no more worlds to conquer except to run for public office. And then suddenly, bam. Yeah, I've been with you all along. As if we weren't going to, you know, do Google searches and find out that you were a generous benefactor of the causes we've been opposed to. You were a critic, of, of a frequent critic, vocally, on the record of the politicians that we supported for those causes at the same time. You were a donor to organizations like Planned Parenthood. And so I didn't want to vote for this person because I didn't think they had the character for the office. 
I think they can be trusted. That long course of their adult lives, their political convictions had proven to be borne out to not be mine. Oh, but I, I got trashed and threatened. Job got threatened. Career got threatened. I didn't go along. And if I didn't make, if I didn't make this vote, I hated America. I, I, I hated America. I was even betraying Jesus to some of you. Yeah, the 2012 election when Mitt Romney was the nominee was really tough for me. You want a pregnant pause? Let's give, let's give you one right now. I'm so proud of you. I've been watching the last few days. Some of you who would have treated me and my platform the way Facebook currently is, if not worse. Because you didn't like what I was telling you about Mitt Romney because it was all true. And I hated America. And I was betraying Jesus. It's been weird watching some of you last few days. Suddenly, suddenly now you want to get real about who Mitt Romney has been his whole career. Why? What's changed? I've even seen some of you say, I can't believe I voted for him. Hmm. Weird. None of you have come back to apologize, by the way, or say, yeah, you were right all along. Not a damn one of you. Huh. It's funny how he was going to save America six years ago and there's a seven. Time flies and you're being stabbed in the back. Yeah, he was going to he was going to save America seven years ago. Now, same exact guy. Literally nothing's changed. Oh, one thing changed. It's not the GOP nominee now. Can't get you on a certain cable news network now. Can't help you do a damn thing with your career or make you shine up and polish that monkey. The monkey you love, the monkey. Sits there, spinning, spinning the box, wearing his GOP shirt. Same guy. Same guy. Literally nothing has changed. He's just not the 
front man for the Republican band. That's all that's changed. Nothing else has. Nothing else. And yet I was terrible. Because I didn't want to vote for that. Because I thought it was far more likely to stab me in the back than save America. It's weird. Yeah. There's one prominent voice in conservative media. A good friend of mine went to a, an event in D.C. They were speaking at it. This guy walked up to him and he said, uh, Who's that Deese guy in Iowa? This was during that election cycle. He's killing us. I mean, America's over if Romney doesn't win. I've been watching him cut himself over Romney the last few days. Weird. Odd. Huh. No. In America, it is estimated 50 million of us live in pain. Probably not, have... not me right now. <laughs> Aaron is experiencing some relief factor. Smoke them if you got them, my friend. This portion of the show also brought to you by Lucky Strikes. <laughs> oh. About two-thirds of Americans just think they're going to have to live with pain. There's nothing they can do about it. Well, here at The Blaze, we've seen uh, tons of uh, our staffers here be positively impacted by Relief Factor. I'm looking forward to trying this myself. And if you want to give it a start now, here's what you need to know. 100% drug-free, created by doctors. All right, and this is another big selling point to me, four key ingredients, right? You know, I like that. Four key ingredients that help your body win the battle against inflammation. And so they're so confident in their product at Relief Factor, they offer a trial pack. Uh, it's called a three-week quick start, $19.95, dollar a day. And the reason they do this is because when people use this, they are more than likely their numbers show. It's overwhelming the amount of people that go on to use this product on a regular basis. So if you want to give it a shot, three-week quick start relief factor, 1995, you've got nothing to lose except hopefully the pain. Here's what you need to do. Relieffactor.com is the website. Relief factor, all one word, relieffactor.com. Check out, it's the three-week quick start it's their introductory package to get you going. $19.95. That's all it costs. A dollar a day. Relieffactor.com. So, gentlemen, what I'm what I'm seeing now is the opposite of my favorite politician will save America is beginning now. Um, to catch up in the fast lane. And I, I want to address the inverse of this. When we come back, because I, I just want to make sure there's like literally nobody left in our audience by the time we're done. Stay tuned. All 
right, back here with our final segment here today on The Blaze, live and on demand. This is the Steve Day Show. Uh, this portion of the show brought to you by our friends at WaxRx. Do you have uh, itchy ears, ear pain, that plugged up feeling? Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves? If any of these problems sound familiar to you, you could be like millions of Americans who will be forced to take a detour to a doctor's office for a professional cleaning. That means a long wait. That means money out of your pocket. Etc. What if I told you, though, you didn't have to do that this time around? Instead, you can get all the same treatment you're looking for, but from the comfort and convenience of your own home and, and, yes, there's an and, and without a prescription, you can check all those boxes with WaxRx. It uses physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then will soothe the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. You can try WaxRx risk-free today just go to usewaxrx.com usewaxrx all one word usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping again usewaxrx.com offer code radio at checkout for free shipping so we've been uh, talking about uh, my new book uh, or my most recent i think we decided new had to be retired after three months uh, my most recent book uh, truth bombs confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise if you've had a chance to get, to buy the book and read it if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review at amazon we would appreciate you thank you to those of you that did that for us too and this week's chapter is the shortest one lie number nine my favorite politician will save america the truth bomb is it's far more likely we'll have to save america from your favorite politician than it is any politician will save us all right and this is something that um i'm now seeing this though begin to go the other way we we tend to think when we are out of bounds with a a spiritual or moral philosophy or principle, actually the word I'm looking for. We tend to think that the opposite of it is to go to the other extreme of it. It's not. When you're dealing with moral or spiritual principles, going to the opposite extreme is actually the same side is the other side of the exact same coin. You're actually closer to that which you are rebelling against than you are of putting things back in their proper order. For example, the battle over gender. You've heard me say this before. I'll reset it. Those who believe in the fallacy of gender as a construct, they're not removing gender. They're worshiping it. They're, not, they're doing the opposite of what they claim. They, they claim that they are removing gender as a barrier. No, they are worshiping it. Because they believe that it's something that, that if it's redefined, it will bring them contentment, happiness. That is the very definition of an idol. If you believe your gender identity is why, is why you lack contentment, meaning, purpose, Happiness. You're worshiping your gender. It's your idol. And I'm seeing this happen now in politics. So when this manuscript was completed about a year ago, you could have gone through the last few years of our show and we would have angered people by confronting 
a lot of self-clowning moments. Like Michelle Bachman the other day, the clip you played of her saying, mm -hmm. Trump is the only, the, the most biblical president we've ever had, and he might be the only one we'll ever have again. I, I like a lot of the job Donald Trump's doing. I think I pointed that out when, when, when that's been the case, right? Yep. Okay. Because, guys, the most biblical president ever doesn't not mention the Lord Jesus Christ on Easter. Okay? I mean, I mean. It only took like one business day to refute her. Yeah, I mean, I just, that stuff, as my kids used to say when they were little, redonkulous. What's happening now, though, is uh, um, I loved the country band Sawyer Brown. And um, back in the day, do you remember Sawyer Brown? Were you ever into country music? No? I'm... I wouldn't recognize one of his or is it one a of my favorite Sawyer person? Brown songs. The race is on and the race is on. And here comes pride down the back stretch, heartache coming to the inside. <laughs> it's a great lyric. <laughs> All right. That's a, I don't know why I've had that song in my head the whole time. I've been waiting for me to make this, this pivot. Maybe there's a meaning there. I don't know, but I feel like the race is on and here comes Cheeto Jesus down the back stretch. Orange man bad, racing to the inside. Right? I, I know track, so I'm with you. Yes, this is where we're going here. And I find myself now swatting this away on a more regular basis. And I, I posted an article from uh, my buddy, Dr. Michael Brown, who I thought, I thought wrote a great piece on Good Friday about we will not remain silent. And I posted it up on our on our Facebook wall, which literally dozens of you get a chance to see every day. Dozens. Dozens. Thank you, Facebook. And um, there's a, a woman that uh, wrote a reply who's a faithful listener to our show. And we appreciate her. And she wrote back um, in my comments section, what she's struggling with is that, you know, how do we how do we stand for what we believe in when much of much of our ability to do that is the political process and the political process is just so corrupted right now and i'm glad that she posted that cuz it gave me a chance to see kind of cuz i don't I'm all, i i need to honor my own warnings not to turn people into constructs. I've been warning you guys not to do that. Got to make sure I don't do it as well. So I got a chance to read that and read what was on her heart because the minute I acknowledge anything Trump does that I like, she will usually tweet me in five minutes about something bad about Trump. Or if I criticize anything the Democrats do, she'll be one of those people that will tweet me something about Trump that is completely not in the context of anything I just said. And so... I haven't really responded to her on Twitter because it's not a long enough platform that gives me the chance to. And I think she deserved more. And I know her viewpoint is not alone. So I want to share with you what I, what I posted on Facebook in response to her. Okay. Um, you tweet me constantly about Trump as if I need to be regularly reminded he is not a saint. If the president does something good and I acknowledge it, you're often there to pounce. And if someone else does something bad and I acknowledge that, you're often there to pounce and remind me your thoughts on Trump, even though I didn't mention him in the context of what I originally posted whatsoever. So let me respond. 
with some questions. Was politics corrupt before Trump? Did we have immoral politicians before Trump? Did politicians lie before Trump? Did people in my line of work sell out for politicians before Trump? The answer to all these questions, of course, is yes. So let's start by all, let's just take a deep breath here. Trump hasn't changed anything, guys. He is the latest, maybe even the most vivid manifestation of what already was. Nothing's changed on that front. So with that stipulated, let's see if we can agree maybe on a second point. The only real recent change in American politics is that one of our major parties, the Democrats, have now openly and aggressively declared war on all that is holy and worthy of conserving. In other words, everything I, people like me warned you about for years, they're now openly doing. Can we agree on that? If your answer is no, then we should just cease the conversation now. We, we won't come to any common ground henceforth. And we're just going to clash swords and create more enmity. We just have a different read of where we are culturally. And as, until that's reconciled, we can't reconcile anything else. Now, if we do agree on that, let's continue this conversation. I hate the Republican Party, and I'm using that word on purpose. I mean, I hate it. Hate it. They have betrayed us. They have permitted the Democrats to do this to us. Uh, and on a personal level, they have given me and my family far more hassle. I haven't been a Republican for going on three years. I haven't advocated for anybody to vote for a Republican. You guys tell me, have I advocated to vote for any single Republican anywhere in America? And the word you used was advocated. advocated. Yes, meaning follow my lead. Do what I suggest here, okay? I haven't suggested that since the day Ted Cruz dropped out, May 3rd, 2016. I have ended up voting for Republicans since then. I've explained to you in my audience why. But that is for you to understand my reasoning. I should be held accountable. I want transparency from our leaders. I, you, you deserve transparency from me. It's not to specifically lobby you to do the same. You'll know when I'm lobbying you. Go see Unplanned. That's when I'm lobbying you. Telling you why I'm doing something is not lobbying you. I, I will, you will never have to want, what did he mean by that? Subtlety. Not one of my art forms. You will always know. When I want you to, when I think it'd be wise for you to follow my example, I will say, do this too. And as, as I have explained, I have mostly done it for self-defense and acknowledgement of what we've previously stipulated. The Democratic Party has declared war on everything that's meaningful in America, really. I wish we had a noble alternative to the horde. I spent a decade of my life, I can't get back, doing everything I can to make it so. We don't. And, and really all that stands between us and the White Walkers right now are the Lannisters. The Lannisters aren't going to be reformed. Which means we all have a choice here to make. And, and I really don't think there's a right or wrong one. If I did, I would say so. I really don't. I don't even know that we even agree on, on which of these choices to make on this show, frankly. Very practically, though, if we don't put up with the Lannisters for now, the White Walkers will win, minus revival. That's an extinction-level event culturally. That is not debatable, in my view. However, 
if the Lannisters are so vile, you cannot, you don't believe darkness. There's too much darkness there and darkness can't cast out darkness. Then don't align with them. Don't. And we can go back and forth with lessers or two evils arguments. Fewer are better at it than I am. I made a career out of this. I'm like Larry Bird at the free throw line with lesser or two evils arguments. I've got the reps. The reason why I'm really good at the lesser of two evils argument is because I learned early on there's no such thing as a lesser of two evils argument. Everything is the lesser of two evils. Therefore, nothing is. East of Eden, literally everything is the lesser of two evils. Could you have a more moral, more moral, morally upstanding boss here to work for? Could you find one? Sure. Sure. You bet I could. Or you could. Could I find a more morally upstanding employee to work? Yes, indeed. Yeah, I could. Could could your spouse have a more morally upstanding uh, uh, partner than you? Yeah. Could you than they? Yeah. Everything and everybody is the lesser of two evils. East of Eden. The reason why I've never lost an e- a lesser of two evils argument, guys, because there are no lesser of two evils arguments. The whole thing's a fallacy. The whole thing is. All of creation groans with sin. The only debate is how much of the groaning we are each responsible for here. I've never denied the existence of the lesser of two evils as much as pointed out it's a fallacious way of thinking. That is, it's not a philosophical complication. It's really a self-justifying rationalization, meaning I've already determined in my mind I want to make this decision, so I'm going to create, the. I'm going to do the mental math in reverse to justify the choice I want to make. This is why when I've had leaders on on this show over the years and cross-examined them on this lesser of two evils, their arguments have fallen apart. It's not that I'm smarter than them. It's that their arguments are dumb. So a lot of people think we're trapped here, but we're not. We're just caught in a trap of our own making. The choice isn't between how much of the world you're permitting to get on you. It's really a choice of can you serve God here without corrupting your witness? One premise empowers the world and puts our calculations at the forefront. The other puts it where it belongs, on God. Like, I didn't agree with the soldiers' pacifism in Hacksaw Ridge. I don't think Christian pacifism is proper theological teaching, actually. I think it's error. But I really, really respected and admired him. Why? Because he started from the right premise, meaning he wanted to use his life and calling to glorify God. He carried it to the end, even was willing to sacrifice himself, and he finished his race without being disqualified. His desire, motivation, really, was to bring glory to God. So God was glorified, even though I think he's in theological error. But God was glorified nonetheless. See, this isn't about, do you love Trump as much as me? Or do you hate him? Are you critical or less so? This is always about the same thing. In all of these arguments, Romney, Trump, whoever it will be next time, choose ye this day whom you will serve. It's the same argument every time, every single time. Are you serving God or your self-interests? If you can align with Trump or any politicians for that matter without clowning your witness, do so. If you can't, don't. That's it. That's the word of the day. And those of us who disagree with the choices of conscience that others will make shouldn't criticize those choices unless or until those making different choices than us 
clown themselves while doing so. And then it's the clowning that we should criticize, not the choice. The choice they made opposite of you. See, if you're thinking they made the choice opposite me, that's why they're, they're clowning themselves. That's self-righteousness talking. No, the reason why they're clowning themselves is the choice they made was from the wrong premise. How do I serve me or the system's interests? Not how do I glorify God? You can't, you're, too many of you are seeking an absolute process in a murky world. And that's where politics isn't the church. But we are still the church while doing politics or anything else. So wade in if you can do it without becoming like the world. And if you don't see a way for you to do that, step aside. It's okay. Become a prayer warrior. Pray that God's will be done on earth and heaven, that some other way other than Republicans and Democrats will be, prevent, will be presented by God. Work to that end. Like, that's why I support the Convention of States, for example. This isn't complicated. I just had to learn this, though, too. We make it complicated because we can't believe it's this simple. Similar to how people will reject the simple choice of Christianity— did Christ rise or not, and complicate it to debate the implications of that choice before they even make it. And this isn't just true of politics. It's true of every worldly pursuit. The movies, books, music, relationships, everything. What's your motivation? Whom are you going in this to serve? If that's right, you're likely not going to clown yourself regardless of which choice you make. I mentioned this earlier, the story of Bill and Betty from Portland who lost their home to home title fraud. Uh, they have spent tons of money trying to get their property back. A foreign bank even, um, even foreclosed on their home. They were evicted. They never got it back. Don't let this happen to you, especially when for just pennies a day, it won't courtesy of home title lock. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title mortgage, the equity. That's what the thieves really want is, you know, that ROI that you deserve. They want to take it from you. Um, don't let that happen to you with home title lock. Here's what you need to do. Go to home title lock.com home title lock.com. Register your home for free right now for a free title scan and report. That's normally a hundred dollar value. You can register your home for free and get that for free instead right now at home TitleLock.com. Find out if your home's already been targeted, compromised. HomeTitleLock.com. Final thoughts, gentlemen, quickly. What this requires for from all of us, myself included, probably the most, a lot of grace. If, there, if we are living, as you said, in a murky world where there is not a matter of moral certainty, uh, where there is matters of conscience, lots of grace. That's what's required. Amen. Amen. Couldn't have said it better myself, so I won't. John 3, 17. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.